Hello and welcome to VChat episode number 37. Uh, my name is David Davis from virtualizationsoftware.com. And my name is Simon Seagrave from techhead.co. And I'm Eric Siebert from vSphereLand.com. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Um, today we got a, a lot of cool stuff to talk about. But first, let's just kind of go around the room and, you know, what have you been up to? Uh, Simon, take it away. Yeah, yeah, I'll kick things off. Well, okay, um, so since we last spoke, I've uh, been busy working on um, or pre preparing the demos for EMC World. So uh, that was a lot of good fun. Um, that was a, a good month or two uh, ago now. Uh, prepping for VMworld and uh, a, a few other events that we've got coming up at the moment on, on the work front. Um, so, yeah, doing a lot of... Uh, uh, content um, collateral creation at the moment um, not not so much around um, slide decks or, or anything like that it's more more actually interactive demos so this is a new type of demo that uh, uh, we're trying to get sort of um, uh, traction on uh, within the company um, so more than just a video but uh, um, obviously not a full-blown production environment that you can go in and you know, do anything with so, so something in between the two there, where um, you know you can um, have have a uh, an assistant or a virtual assistant take you through and show you all the various uh, features and functions of a particular product. So I've been working on that uh, quite a bit. Um, obviously, we've got VMworld coming up, uh, some pretty cool stuff there, and um, yeah, just uh, trying to trying to get the blog back on track again. Trying to create a little bit of content <laughs> uh, around that. Trying to make it a little bit more regular. Um, yeah, I've been sort of adventuring with uh, the, the, the video, the creation of videos a little bit more, more so than uh, you know your traditional blog posts. Still doing blog posts, but uh, quite enjoying you know doing screencasts, videos, that type of thing as well. So uh, that seems to be well received. So uh, you know I'll probably keep uh, continuing to do that. So uh, that's everything from this end. Um, enjoying the great, great British summer at the moment. Um, it's been quite warm, a little bit of rain as as expected, but. Uh, yeah, apart from that, I haven't seen anyone for. A, I haven't attended any any shows for a long time. Um, there was the London VMUG last week that uh, I I didn't end up uh, attending. There was a uh, there was a tube strike or a rail strike, so uh, that made it kind of tough getting up to London. So I didn't bother with that. But uh, no, apart from that, I think my my next big meet up with people may or may not be uh, VMworld San Fran. Don't know whether I'm going yet, but. Uh, yeah, no, and apart from that, I've finally got the home lab span back up again, which is great. Um, because of the um, because it is summer over here in my office, I've only got one window I can open. Um, literally, I've got one machine running. I did have three machines, but I've, I've scaled that back to uh, just one in my lab now, uh, just to keep the temperatures down a little bit. So uh, that's everything from my side. Um, yeah, what about you guys? What have you been up to? Eric, what have you been up uh, to? Me? I've been uh, moving. <laughs> That's been fun. I uh, relocated again from uh, from Colorado to Arizona, back to Colorado. So I'm uh, back here now, back in the uh, the man cave and that where uh, I did the previous V chats. Um, still trying to get settled in, and that, you know my office is still a mess. You know I barely got computers up and running, networking, all that stuff. Um, home labs all in boxes and switches. I got to find cables and all that. So. It'll be a while before I get that up and running again. Just kind of get the essentials up, and um, you know, beyond that, trying to get settled in. So, what's it uh, uh, work-wise, so Eric? What's it like moving back into your old house again? Is it, it, does it feel strange after being away and then coming back again and having <laughs> to reset it all up again? Yeah, deja vu. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, moving from 
completely different environment. And the, the house we were in um, in Arizona was much bigger than that and kind of had to squeeze back into this one. And that had a lot more space there. So kind of accumulated a lot more stuff. So trying to, you know, it was when we first moved in here, it was box city everywhere and that. And <laughs> I could barely unpack things because boxes were everywhere and that. So that took a while to get through all that. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, where I've been for a long time. So real comfortable with it. And, you know, it's kind of good to be back. You've got, and, that, uh, uh, you've got that wood back, paneling uh, back again as well. Yep, yep. And i got to get all my old West decorations back up and all that and uh, get, uh, get this whole thing uh, set up and take some time. Um, yeah, beyond that, you know, work, uh, you know, there's a lot around storage, you know, a lot of cool things with uh, things like uh, V-Vols. Um, been doing a lot of collateral around that. Um, with uh, at HP, we've had a pretty good implementation with three-part VVALs. So I've been kind of managing all the kind of collateral efforts, go-to-market efforts around VVALs, um, supporting a lot of events. Uh, VMUGs. We've been doing VMUGs. I was at the Kansas City VMUG a few weeks ago. I'm going to the Indy VMUG next week. Um, Chicago in September. And of course, VMworld coming up, so um, that'll be the big show. I got four speaking sessions at VMworld, so that'll be a fun one. And that uh, to run through all that. I know sessions kind of tie you down in that, and there's a lot of prep to doing them, so have uh, have to start scrambling to get all that. Are they HP related uh, sessions, Eric, or are they any any independent ones in there, or are they all through through HP? Yeah, you know, I submitted three through HP. Um, one was you know, kind of the, the technical educational one, not really product related than that. And um, that one made it through the normal process, the normal voting process. I was surprised because it seems like almost nobody gets things through the normal process. So that was my uh, uh, top 10 things you must know about implementing VVAL's session that made it through that. Um, two of the other ones were through our, our sponsor sessions um, that uh, were allowed at four sponsor sessions with our sponsorship. So Storage had two of those. And then one other one was actually one that VMware invited me to was a technical panel on VVALs. Um, so I'll be participating in that along with, I think, four or five other vendors. I think NetApp, EMC, um, Dell, and, and one other is on that. So the, that'll be another one there. So um, lots to do to get ready for VMworld. Oh, fantastic. And that's really heartening, actually, to hear that uh, you know one of your normal sessions, i.e. one of your non-sponsored sessions, still got through as well. So... That's good. That's good to see they're still being accepted as well. So, no, no, good on you. Yeah, I, I was absolutely shocked. <laughs> I was expecting the, you know, the Dear John rejection letters for, for all of them and that. And I was like, oh, wow. Because, you know, if you look at um, that whole process and the amount of sessions that VMware takes, and it's not a huge amount of sessions there. I think it's about 400, and VMware has a lot of them. Um, that you typically see these days very little, you know, especially a lot of the independents that, you know, submit sessions and that. Those are always good sessions. You see very little make them through this year, um, in these latest years and that, which is kind of disappointing in that because mm. there was a lot of good content. And, you know, VMware is so broad now with so many different topics to cover and that, that you know, they almost have to take up a lot of those session slots just to cover yeah. all that. So, uh, so it's good to see you know, some, uh, some of the other sessions get in, you know, whenever possible. I think that's where, uh, you know, the v, v Brown Bag crew have done really stepped up and sort of filled that gap. You know, it really gives the uh, the independents and the bloggers and everything an opportunity to sort of present at, at VMworld. 
uh, albeit not on the big stage, but still quite a uh, significant audience, you know, with their um, with their pop-up sessions that they do there uh, and the recordings from that. So I think that's a great initiative as well. So, uh, you know, those of you listening to this who perhaps didn't have their sessions uh, accepted this year or in past years, uh, definitely reach out to the, um, like I say, the VBAT brown bag um, uh, a team and uh, see whether you could uh, get a speaking slot at, at VMworld on uh, at one of their uh, recorded sessions. That's definitely worth worth doing and uh, worth watching as well. Yep, for sure. There's uh, tons and tons of good good people with good knowledge, good experience in that. That um, you know, it's it's. If you look at the overall submissions and that, I, I think I was counting through, just looking at the numbers, um, you know, from um, the voting catalogs and that. There was I. Th- thought about 2,500 submissions this year and about 400 slots. So significant amount of sessions that don't make it in that. So mm-hmm. it's always good to see something pick up the slack and, um, you know, have another platform for, for getting that information to people. Yeah, in fact, I was at uh, Cisco Live and I saw uh, Alistair Cook and talked to him for a while. And, you know, he he has he owns the, the brown bags and he's doing the tech talks. Uh, he did those tech talks at at Cisco Live, and he said he's doing them at, at VMworld as well, and a bunch of you know VMUX too. Um, he even said he's um, his Auto Lab, you know, he's he's got it updated for vSphere six, and and now it can even deploy OpenStack, which I was like, oh, that's he's he's doing some really cool stuff. So, yeah, um, that's awesome, Eric. You know, VVols is really a hot topic, and that's in fact going to be the topic of today's show. We decided. But, we, but before we move on to that, David, uh, you know, let's tell us what what have you been up to? <laughs> uh, well, I've been creating a lot of vSphere six training. Um, I launched my, my plural site, uh, vSphere six. What's new course? And now I'm doing the vSphere six uh, fundamental series, which is broken up into eight different courses. So I'm launching those, you know, as I complete them. So so far, the first two are out on uh, install and config and. Um, networking and, and now I'm moving on to storage and then performance and and monitoring and so forth. So uh, for those who don't know, the VCP six is now broken up into two different exams. So there's the uh, fundamentals, the VCP fundamentals exam, which is what I'm working on, and then there's specializations uh, for each of the different VCP you know topics: uh, data center virtualization, cloud, uh, desktop, which is called what workforce mobility or something. Uh, anyway, so uh, that's what I, that's, that's what's been keeping me busy. Um, I've also been doing a series of online events called MegaCasts on different topics. We did a MegaCast on hyperconvergence and flash storage, and got another one coming up on April 29th on data protection. So um, between the training and the MegaCast events, and um, just getting ready for VMworld, uh, it's been pretty pretty busy. As you can tell, I recently moved my office, just like. Just like Eric. Yeah, I was going to say, it looked a different view from the last time. So so you just moved in a different location in the house? or? Uh, yeah, they're, they're actually building a, a brand new house right next to where my office was uh, over the garage. And so it's just constant banging. So uh. <laughs> temporarily, I've moved up here into the third floor. Uh, but I might just stay. I like it so much. There's enough room for like a big screen TV and kind of oh, like, nice. like Eric's man room there. So cool. <laughs> I might have my own soon. Once I get all this chaos in order, so, so uh, you guys want to move on to today's big topic? Yeah, that sounds great. Sure, yeah. let's, let's talk VVOLs. Okay, so I'll ask the first dumb question, uh, I guess. Uh, Eric, what is a, a VVOL? A VMware virtual volume? 
Yeah, so if you look at what it is, it's essentially replaces VMFS. So if you're familiar with how it's done today, um, your VM is a bunch of files on a VMFS file system, which exists on a LUN on the storage array. Um, with VVALs, we do away with VMFS, and VMs are essentially stored directly on the storage array as objects. We're not creating LUNs on the storage array anymore. vSphere can now store those VMs directly on the storage array and storage containers that are created on the storage array. And all the kind of allocation of space is done automatically kind of um, as needed in that. So we're not carving out a huge chunk of disk space and giving it to VMware for uh, VMFS volumes. We're basically just creating the space on the, on the backend storage array as VMs are created. Uh, a VM basically consists of uh, multiple VVALs in that. Um, it's not really a, a one-on-one relationship there. At a minimum, a VM will have two virtual volumes. You have your config virtual volume, and that contains a, a number of traditional files that we're used to on VMFS. You'll have your, your configuration data in there, um, like the VMX was, um, some uh, metadata information. If you're familiar with virtual disks, they all had metadata files um, that's stored in there. Uh, the log files are stored in there. So that's a config VVAL. Um, can be up to four gig in size is the uh, limit. Um, that'll vary based on you know how um, you know multiple things on kind of logs and what's stored in that config VVAL. It'll kind of grow up to four gig as needed. Um, and then for every virtual disk that you have on a VM, that will have its own VVAL. And um, then from that point, there'll be some additional VVALs. So if you power the VM on when you're binding the VM to your virtual volumes. What happens is another VVAL gets created, just like today with a swap file, the vSwap file. You'll have a swap VVAL created. Um, and then for every snapshot you take, if you do snapshots of VMs, now the snapshot mechanism moves to the storage array. So if you take a snapshot in the traditional manner in the vSphere client, you're actually taking an array snapshot. Now, there's no option to do that in vSphere. It's automatically done on the backend storage array. So uh, a snapshot VVAL will be taken for every um, snapshot that you take in vSphere, you know, up to the limit of uh, 32 snapshots. And um, again, if you select memory state as well, it'll create a, a memory state um, VVAL as well. So, so VM, you know, basically all consists of multiple components, kind of like it did with VMFS. They're just stored differently without the VMFS file system directly on the storage array in VVALs, basically in a storage container on the array. Um, which essentially is the, the, you know, typically the the whole capacity of the storage array. We're not allocating space anymore. So, so that's kind of the fundamentals of what a VVAL is. And just to confirm, all that workload isn't done at the uh, the host the ESXi host level at all. It's all done at the uh, the storage array. So the, the the you know the creation maintenance of VVALs is offloaded. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of goal there is to kind of bring together the storage administration into vSphere. And um, so anything you do there gets offloaded back under the storage array and um, kind of a, it's kind of a different you know, mechanism for doing all those, those typical operations. So, Eric, in order to use vVols, what, what are the requirements? Do you need vSphere 6 and you need a, a whole new SAN? <laughs> no, not necessarily. You need a whole new SAM, but you do need vSphere 6. Okay. Um, and one thing about vVols, it's not a feature, so it's not something licensed in vSphere 6. It's actually part of the architecture, so it's available in any vSphere edition. Um, you know, eventually vVols will replace vMFS and that, you know, VMware doesn't keep two of anything around. It may be years down the road, but eventually vMFS will go away and it'll just be vVols. And... Um, you need a storage array that's capable of supporting vVols. And, um, you know, it could be 
you know, in a lot of cases, just a firmware upgrade and that that supports the uh, the new VASA provider and that the VASA 2.0 specification. Um, and if you look at uh, on day one, there was only four vendors certified. So there was a lot of vendors playing catch up there. Um, and that uh, I checked last week, and I think there's only eight vendors right now that are certified. There's a special uh, VMware HCL category for VVALs. If you go there, um, it'll show you. Uh, there's a lot of smaller arrays that, that's kind of supported, and some of the bigger is like um, NetApp and, and Dell and HP um, supported. So, um, so yeah, your array has to support it, and um, and then from there. It's really up to each individual vendor to dictate what capabilities they want to support on the storage array. Um, so things like thin provisioning, um, snapshots, uh, dedupe, um, you know, anything you want to flush up as a capability to build into profiles via the vSphere policy-based management, um, the storage array would pass um, to uh, vSphere to be able to put those into policies. Um, kind of one notable absent there is a replication, which isn't currently supported in the VASA 2 specification. Um, that'll probably come later on. So things like SRM, VMSC, and all that, um, you know, anything that require um, replication um, isn't really supported with VVALS today. So you'd want to stick with VMFS if that's the case. So you need vSphere 6, though? Got to have that. And, uh, you know, the one one thing I've had a lot of people asking about, are there any VSAs that support it? Because people want to try it. And unless you have the storage array that supports it, you can't try it out, really. So unfortunate thing, there are no VSAs um, that really support it today. VMware has a simulator they, they use in-house. Um, and it's unfortunate, no, no VSAs. I know on our end, on HP, um, our store virtual VSA doesn't support it yet. Um, it's a roadmap item in that. So it'd be nice at some point if you know, one of the VSAs picked up support so we could try it in our home labs and play around with it and things like that. Um, it'd be cool to, to get some hands-on. And um, you know, people that don't have those arrays that, that support it, um, you could do it with a VSA at some point. Yeah, same, same on the EMC side of things. So uh, you might have, well, you may or may not have noticed recently the um, there was a launch of uh, Project Liberty that was announced at uh, EMC World. So something called a uh, VVNX, which is a uh, virtualized VNX uh, VNX instance. So uh, as with the VNX simulator previously, it's not uh, designed for you know production use at all. It's used for development and uh, and what have you uh, type environments for lab environments. But uh, yeah, that doesn't have VVOLs yet. But that is earmarked apparently for Q3, maybe hopefully. So uh, oh, cool. that would be interesting to uh, get a bit of hands-on time with it, uh, like like you say, Eric, through through the VSAs. Yeah, for sure. There, there's a lot there to learn because it is pretty different. There's a lot of different components that you don't have um, with traditional implementation with your your protocol endpoints, your storage containers, um, your VAST provider, um, and things like that. That you know, and the VVALs themselves. Um, that you know, if if you're not familiar with VVALs today. There's a lot of new things you got to learn about it, so it'd be nice to have something like that where you can kind of get some um, sick time with it mm-hmm. and uh, play around with it. Because, you know, it's one of those things where I think people are just really going to dip their dip their toe in the pool and um, you know slowly try it out and uh, get some experience with it, some comfort level with it. Uh, the migration path to VVALs from VMFS to storage vMotion. Um, that's really the only way to to go from VMFS to VVALs. I think Veeam has a, a quick migration they do. Um, it's essentially, I think, a, a storage emotion, though, and that's just kind of moving the, the VM over. Um, but that, that's the migration path to VVALs or back is through storage vMotion or any type of cold migration that you might have to do. 
That's not too bad, I guess. That means at least you can do it in a controlled manner then, I guess, rather than uh, flicking the yeah. switch and taking the whole thing out if you do experience problems. Um, yeah. Yeah, you just can't do it in bulk. So if you want to move everything over and that, you know, the, the storage arrays will support both on the same array. Um, you know, you're, you're carving up LUNs for VMFS, and then typically the storage container would occupy the rest of the array where you can create your VVOLs. Eric, what do storage admins think about VVOLs? Is it... Is it taking away their control? Do they do they want to get their their six shooter like yours there and and protect the yeah. fan? Yeah, you know those politics always come into play. You know the, the turf wars and that, and you know we saw that with V switches and that that you know the network admins didn't want to give you that many ports. They didn't want to put all those VLANs into them and that. I think it's going to be the same way with um, VVALs. Is the storage admins essentially giving up a lot of control? Um, you know, I think the end, the end result is better than that, but there, there is a lot of control that the, the storage admin is going to be giving up, um, and that, and, and not managing things and not having visibility sometimes into the VVAL stuff. Um, but you know, it's one of those things I think if, if you work with storage admins and you make them understand the benefits, you make them understand the architecture, there are command line tools like in our arrays, we have command line tools that a storage admin can use to see VVALs. Um, we developed commands specific on the storage array side um, to be able to kind of interact with those VVAL objects on the storage arrays. Now on the management, you really don't want to be doing on the storage array because the whole purpose of this is to shift everything to vSphere. So you don't want the storage admin to really be monkeying with those VVALs on the back end and that. Um, but there are some tools that you know you can give to kind of give them some insight into um, you know what's the VVALs of the array. I know on our end, we, we purposely mask all those VVAL objects into our console. Um, so, the, so the storage admin doesn't have to see those, those thousands of objects that get created. Um, but via our command line tools, um, you know, provide the capability to kind of see all those and um, interact with the different VVAL objects. So one of the things to watch for is, um, I think you mentioned earlier, is um, the scalability of the array, like the number of VVALs that it can support. Is that something that admins need to watch out for? I mean, if they have an old array, they upgrade the firmware, Maybe that old array just can't support the number of VVALs that, that their infrastructure will require. Yeah, because typically block storage arrays aren't used to, to managing that number of objects and scale like that. You know, you typically, you know, you work at the LUN level. Um, you don't have thousands of thousands of LUNs typically. So when you look at all the work that had to be done on the block side to um, uh, to support VVALs and that. Um, a lot of these block vendors had to do a lot to be able to support a lot more than they used to have. The file vendors typically were already working at the file level, so um, in most cases, they were already used to that number of objects on, on their backend storage array. But for block, yeah, it's um, I think there's a lot of work that had to be done to really improve the amount of objects that you can support. And that really varies by vendor. I've looked at some of the implementations, and I just noted Dell um, recently was um, certified for VVALs in the last week or two, um, and they were supporting a pretty low number. I thought it was around a thousand or so. Um, well, if you look at a, a typical VM, you know it's at least three VVALs, could be more with snapshots and that. Not a huge number of, of VMs supported there. Um, I know on our end we support sixty-four thousand. Um, again, you know, based on the number of snapshots you have, you know, if you look potentially, and I did a, a post on my website um, the other day comparing VMFS maximums to VVAL's maximums, 
a single VM could potentially have thousands of VVALs. If you look at the number of snapshots you can have and the number of virtual disks that you can have on a VM and you multiply all that out, there could be a lot of VVALs for a single VM. You know, typically not going to be that number, typically maybe, you know, under 10, but um, but there's definitely a lot more objects that have to be supported on the backend storage array. So every vendor, I think, if you look at them, um, they'll have a number of what, of what they support today, um, VVAL objects. And I expect that to grow as uh, a lot of these vendor implementations mature over time. Yeah, um, and that brings up an interesting question that just popped in my mind. So is VVALs only for block storage? Or if you have an MFS array, can you use VVALs? Yeah, it's protocol agnostic. So essentially, the the protocol endpoint that's used <clears throat> for the um, VVALs to for the data path is essentially a protocol within a protocol. So um, it really puts all the protocols on a level playing field now because they all have to operate at the VVAL specification, the VASA specification. Um, and you know, today where we have, you know, the we have VMFS and you know the block storage array, and with NFS we have the the NAS storage array that manages files there. It's all done the same way these days. You know, vSphere is writing. We don't have a file system anymore. Um, vSphere is writing those directly on the storage array as a vValve object in a storage container. So the protocol is, you know, pretty. It takes some of those um, pros and cons and differences of the protocol out of the picture now because everything's kind of done uniformly regardless of the protocol. Um, today, I've seen. NFS, uh, iSCSI, and fiber channel implementations across the vendors. I don't know if there's any FCOE yet, um, but it looks like all the vendors kind of support uh, all the different protocols today. So like vSAN, I know it had a limitation. I mean, you had to watch out for the number of objects and components, I think it was. so. And vSAN was kind of like vVols 1.0 almost. It was like the first production implementation of vVols. Um, so yeah. the number of sub LUNs you're talking about, and, and what'd you call them, objects or data? VVAL objects. VVAL objects. So it's kind of the same same thing there? Yeah, cause, yeah you're right. You know, vSAN was kind of the, it's the same architecture. You know, one's for local storage, one's for shared storage, but they all have the same storage policy-based management engine um, that's used between them. Um, they both don't use VMFS. Um, they both write VMs as objects. Um, or directly on the store. So yeah, there's a lot of similarities there. And yeah, I know, like you said, vSAN initially had that, that limitation on number of objects. Um, but if you look at vSAN, you had much smaller scale. You had a single server that had those objects on it. So you typically wouldn't have a great number. A SAN on itself, it's got to support multiple hosts and all that. So the object support has to be a lot greater there um, because we're supporting, you know, it's one big SAN. It's not like you have separate little, you know, vSAN hosts all, you know, running their own individual, um, you know, containers there. Um, so, yeah, so, that, so it, it's definitely the, the objects that are there um, has to be a lot more with external storage than it was with vSAN. It's going to be going to be interesting to see what the uptake of VVOLs are. You know, when it goes you know, more, more mainstream, there whether uh, businesses out there will wait for a, a storage hardware refresh, then basically use that as the opportunity to move the uh, do the live migration or the storage migration of the VMs across at that point, or whether they will attempt to you know, do any firmware upgrades to to uh, to allow for VVOLs on existing systems. It'll be interesting to see sort of how cautiously um, people will play. I guess it'll depend on the business and, you know, budgets and all that type of thing. But, uh, yeah, that'll, uh, that'll be an interesting space to look out for. Yeah, I, I pre predict it'll be slow in that, you know. I, 
there's a lot of people, you know, when anything new comes out, they typically don't jump in, and especially when it's something fairly different and that. And with storage, you got all that migration stuff you have to do. So, um, and you know, Vivaldo is essentially 1.0, right? You know, as today, you remember vSAN is 1.0. Um, and it had some growing pains and with some feature gaps and all that stuff. So um, I expect the next version of vSphere with the more mature implementation of eVals will probably be at the point, kind of the tipping point where, you know, just like with vSAN that, you know, people start to give it a more serious look and, um, you know, start to um, make that migration over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, especially with the requirement to upgrade to vSphere 6, I mean, that's one one hurdle. And then just understanding the new the new way of doing things for the storage admin and um, then making actually the migration and you know like you, you talked about there's a few features that still need to be um, you know compatible like replication and SRM so yeah there's a, a little bit of a, a hurdle there. Um, now if you look at the the one I think shining feature of evals that it provides is uh, well, actually two um, is the automatic space automation now where uh, as the storage rate can see VMs as objects we can automatically reclaim space right away we don't have to go to ESX CLI commands to try to create balloon files and reclaim space the old manual way that's resource intensive we can reclaim space right away now. We know exactly when a VM is deleted, when a VM moves, um, because we have visibility into the VM object. So all that automatic space reclamation is all automatic now. Um, don't have to worry about um, you know trying to you know reclaim space manually. The other is snapshots, um, which are done differently with VVAL, which is pretty cool now the way we're doing it. Um, with traditionally with um, VMFS, um, you froze your original base disk, you created delta files, and those delta files held all the changes that were made um, after you created that point in time snapshot. And then when you deleted that snapshot, you had to merge all those delta files back into that original base disk, which is pretty resource intensive, especially if it's been around there for a long time. Um, and that. So there's a lot of overhead there on the host. With VVALs, it's the opposite. Now when we take a snapshot, it's automatically a storage array snapshot. You don't have the option to take a, you know, when you take the snapshot in the vSphere client, it's only on the storage array. And what happens is we're not freezing that base virtual disk anymore. We're essentially still writing data directly to that base virtual disk. And the delta files, the delta VVALs that get created, contain the original data and that. So now when I go and delete that snapshot, I just get rid of those Delta files and my disk is already live. I don't have to merge anything back in. So that kind of, it's a lot more efficient doing mm -hmm. it that way as well. It's another, I think, a good thing with VVALs. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That is a big benefit. And then, I mean, storage policy-based management uh, is actually really cool where you can, it's more of a, a VM, you know, application-centric approach to managing your storage, so you've got an application, you want it to have higher performance or higher, um, you know, redund greater redundancy. Uh, with vSAN, you can change those policies, and and the storage adapts on the fly. Is that the same with vBalls? Yeah, you're kind of you know building a. a you know, the policies kind of a la carte. You know, I, I pick and choose the features I want to apply them to VMs and that, um, you know, where previously, you know, if I wanted to, you know, take a snapshot um, at the storage rate level, I had to snap that entire lawn. Maybe I didn't want all those VM snap, um, you know, or, or other kind of storage rate features that I had to apply at the lawn level. Um, now with the policy-based management, I can kind of pick and choose and be a la carte, you know, create this policy that has these features, these hardware capabilities, um, another policy for this and that, and then apply those to VMs. 
And then the storage policy-based management engine, you know, ensures compliance there and um, allows me to get a lot more granular with how I comply those storage rate features directly to VM. So it's definitely a powerful tool now um, that allows, really empowers the storage admin to really get a lot more fine-grained control of storage resources and, um, you know, kind of build out policies however they want and assign them to VMs. Definitely. I mean, so many compelling reasons there, I think, to, to take a serious look at VVOLs, definitely, even in its sort of, uh, you know, first first iteration. It's just, like you say, Eric, I think the uh, the pros far outweigh the cons. And, you know, even if people wait for the first, you know, or the second major release, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's so many benefits in doing that. So. It's exciting, but just what I just like you saying before. I I want to get a spin up in my lab, and uh, you know, if possible, we have to try and try and get a VSA of it. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, when start playing around with it a little Synology bit Synology or uh, Iomega, one of those vendors, could support VFOS. <laughs> Give us uh, home labbers a uh, chance to uh, to try it out. Yeah, I think we'll be looking at more of a uh, major vendors VSA. I think. Yeah, for sure. One of the places you might check it out is. I'm just curious. I haven't done it myself, but. I'm guessing VMware's hands-on labs has VVOL support. Yeah, I know NetApp has a <clears throat> HOL in there that um, has VVOLs. Um, I um, there's a lot of demos uh, online too on that. So um, if you want to see uh, on my uh, my website, I have a VVOLs landing page with links, and uh, there's tons of links sorted by vendors. So if you're interested in what you know information on a particular vendor's implementation, have them categorized like that. So um, so go there and there's, I got a ton and ton of links there on VVOLs that can uh, help you learn. And um, I, I think VMware does have some type of labs um, built around it. And I was talking to one of their tech marketing guys, and um, they had that simulator um, that they built to be able to support labs. I know the VMware guys were asking us about RVSA. <laughs> hey, do you guys support VVOLs? Because you know, they're looking to deliver something as well. But I think they built a simulator that allowed them to kind of do it in a lab environment so people can get hands-on with it without having a storage array that supports it. Very cool. Very cool. That sounds like your page there, uh, Eric's one to look out for and uh, keep tabs on for anything VVOLs related. Yeah, I also... Did a, a post uh, a post that gave you all sorts of reasons why um, you'd want to wait to um, to for you you know to, to actually implement VVOLs and all the reasons why you would want to do it right now and that that kind of weighed all the pros and cons of, of VVOLs and that that was kind of um, you know hit it from both sides of the coin and that and um, kind of gave you a full view of you know what to expect with VVOLs. Cool, cool, yeah. Um, one of the hands-on labs is. Uh, uh, number 1429, it is on VVOLs. It doesn't say what storage you know, infrastructure they have behind it, but yeah, it might be a good resource to check out. Um, lots of great resources out there. I'll have to check out your webpage as well, Eric. So. And actually, I've got, to, uh, I've got to jump back on. It's been ages since I've actually had a look at uh, VMware's uh, hands-on lab environment, so um, I bet they've got some great stuff in there now uh, since I've last checked. So I'll add that to my to-do list. Are you, are you still involved with uh, developing HOLs for EMC? Uh, not for those ones, no, no, not for um, not okay. for VMworld or VMware at all, no, no. Okay. I gave that up uh, about two years ago. So uh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, and I'm uh, I'm no longer involved with doing the hands-on labs uh, for EMC World either. There's a uh, there's actually a team, okay. so it's a distributed team, uh, predominantly East Coast um, for the infrastructure. 
uh, and the content creation team are predominantly based over in Cork in Ireland. So uh, they, like uh, VMware's hands-on lab environment, TMC has, has its own. And um, yeah, so that's that's you know anything EMC related, you know, there, there, there's a hands-on lab for it, uh, which is quite amazing. When you look at things, I'm always quite blown away because you've got things like the VMAX, you know, what have you, and that's uh, and a few heavy hitters like that, and uh, the back-end resource and, and you know the virtualized instances of those um, that they have just purely that they're, they're not designed for prime time or anything like that. They've purely just been created for these these lab environments, so people can get uh, hands-on time with them. There's uh, yeah, some some decent resource allocated to them, but uh, yeah, it's good. It means people can get in there, have a play around, and uh, you know, because uh, there's quite often that you'd find it yourself, wouldn't you, Eric? I mean, quite often there's not too many of these, uh, you know, the the higher ticket items kicking around that you can sort of uh, get uh, get lab time with at any stage. You know, at least the physical versions. Yeah, of Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get my hands on some of the gear, and uh, it's hard to hard to get. <laughs> Yeah. Hey. So, so speaking of gear, I mean, what have you guys? Uh, any anything new in your labs or in uh, in your man caves there at all? I got the new Zeus Big Boy router, the uh, the AC, uh, the RTAC. I think it's eighty six or eighty seven. Um, it's their uh, four antenna, big power one, and that. I was getting sick of you know my my man caves on one side of the house downstairs in the basement. So the Wi-Fi, and I had the other Zeus router, the uh, uh, the uh, N66 one, which worked pretty good, but kind of weak signal on the one side of the house. So this thing is a beast, and <laughs> it puts out a lot of power in that. And um, you know, I looked, and there's a ton of routers now that have you know all kind of the the AC stuff with mega antennas, and they had a D-Link one. If you've seen, it looks like uh, the Death Star, and that all these <laughs> antennas bristling out of it, and that. So I bought the Zeus mainly because I like their software and that. I like their interface and really good mods for it and that. The Merlin mod for your Zeus routers is awesome because they take the the stock code base, which is open source, and they apply some extra enhancements on top of it and that. So you're not just ripping and replacing the code and that. You're essentially using the same code that's been enhanced. And um, they kind of stay parallel to the Zeus code streams and that. So really like the Zeus routers and that. And that thing's been uh, really, really good in that. Really got me some good Wi-Fi in the house finally. Yeah, it's a good-looking bit of kit I see up on the shelf. Yeah, lots of lots of blinking, blinky lights, lot a lot of antennas. Yeah. So, so I suppose you're slowly radiating yourself there. So uh, you yeah, know, you just, I'm sure. You, you yep. just put your lunch up there, and by lunchtime, it's uh, it's cooked. I got yeah. that, and I got a microcell right next to it, and that. So I got radiation overload. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so speaking of access points, actually, I've um, literally turned up today. Actually, was this guy? So a uh, um, uh, ubiquity. Um, always have trouble pronouncing it. A, a Unify um, like a access point smoke for, detector for, for home, or uh, doubles as a flying saucer or a frisbee. Uh, basically, power over Ethernet, which is nice. Um, the issue I had is. Um, I pretty much only have one one Apple-based machine now. I've, I've predominantly gone back to Windows-based everything, and uh, I was finding that my Airport Express I had across home um, was good. The coverage wasn't excellent, but uh, my Windows-based machines uh, or laptops were having trouble connecting to it. Um, and I don't know whether it's because it's an Apple device or you know a difference in protocols or, or what. Well, no, the same protocols or, or what it was, but uh, you know it, it's one of the old-style Airport Expresses, so it's getting on in years now. I've, and it's had uh, so many trips around uh, around the world with me as I've <laughs> you know been to these different events. So I decided to swap it out. Finally, did a bit of uh, research online. Um, like the look of this, the um, 
I've literally before we started recording this, I uh, just finished configuring it up over lunch, and uh, a fantastic interface on it. And it's the type of thing is it's designed for um, well either home, but uh, you know prosumer or, or, or enterprise rollout of these. I mean they're relatively quite cheap. I mean these are about well, for the functionality they're cheap anyway. There was about fifty pounds or, or thereabouts. But the interface you get with this, let's say you want to expand it at any stage, or let's say you're on a campus or a hotel or in an office environment. You just add add more of these, and then it detects it, and you just push profiles out to them, and uh, you know it'll monitor that. You can overlay where they are onto a um, topology map, or you know a physical floor map um, of your office, uh, and it'll monitor it. You know you can have up to I think it's four different um, uh, Wi-Fi networks running on each access point as well, so you can set up a guest network, oh, uh, which is what cool. I'm doing, as well as my primary. It's essentially, uh, a so yeah, a lot of functionality then, then. there takes your existing Wi-Fi signal and extends it, repeats it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does that. Uh, sorry, I, are people watching this, the, the network uh, guys out there, be screaming at this, the, <laughs> at this point. Um, but I can't remember what it's called. But there is a term whereby uh, it's basically roaming. So you can roam around with your laptop, and it will just move from one access point to the next um, seamlessly. I can't remember what it's called. It's annoying me. Okay. I always know what it's called <laughs> on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, yeah, it's 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 basically Wi-Fi roaming <laughs> when you've got more than one of these. So it'll always hone into the uh, the nearest one or the uh, access point with the strongest signal for you. And uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I had this little uh, pyramid thing, which is an Asus one. That's uh, essentially a repeater in that that um, allows you to kind of extend your Wi-Fi and. I had mixed results with it and that, um, and that, and, and you could hardwire this um, as well, and that, which I did be over the power line stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It's just to me, it was rather than having all of the multiple devices and that one big honking one that you know you don't have to have multiple things set up. So yeah, that. but yeah, there's definitely you know for for different use cases, different things that you know fit the bill. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I've gone power line uh, entirely at home. So the office here, I don't have Wi-Fi anymore. Because uh, it's quite a small, small office, and uh, I'm trying to be as healthy as I can these days. So uh, uh, without frying yeah. myself <laughs> sitting next to an access point, which I was uh, previously, um, yeah. The other reason I went for this as well, you can actually schedule when the Wi-Fi radio turns off and on as well, which is pretty cool. So at night, I have it turn off, you know, switch itself off over over at home there. I mean, it's uh, I have it near the uh, you know near our bedroom is where it normally is. So I, you know I get it to turn off about ten o'clock at night. It'll turn itself on again at seven or eight in the morning. Um, so yeah, it's quite quite nice sort of uh, bit of bit of Wi-Fi radio signal downtime as you sleep, as it were. Um, so yeah, that's the other reason I went for that. Sharp looking too. You just put it on your wall and uh, yeah, I mean, power of Ethernet is amazing. It, it comes with like all the plates and everything. You just mount it to the wall, oh, okay. the ceiling. And because you're just talking a single okay. cable with uh, you know. POE there, it's, uh, it's ideal. You know, you can actually make it quite discreet. So, yeah, first impressions have been re- very impressed with it. Um, very impressed indeed. So, yep, got to get that oh, uh, cool. get that uh, implemented uh, after work. Cool stuff. Nice. I have to check that out. Um, both what do you got, David? And then cool? Yeah, um, I mean, I've almost gotten rid of all my, well, I have gotten rid of all my physical, like, lab servers now. And I've got a new iMac uh, 5K with 32 gigs of RAM and a terabyte, you know, PCI flash, and it runs uh, an incredible, for me at least, vSphere lab, uh, you know, oh. all in a single single box, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so it, it's been working uh, pretty well. I, I did buy a new uh, Synology, uh, the DS1513 Plus, 
um, yeah. which is a really, really nice little, you know, SMB, home, SAN, NAS. Um, How many drives does that one have? Was it's it six got, drives? Yeah. No, five drives. Oh, five, okay. Five drives, yeah. So uh, right now I've got four, uh, four discs in there, four three-terabyte um, Western Digital drives, and then uh, I'm going to take a, a flash, di an SSD uh, flash to drive out of one, one of my other systems and, and put it in there for caching. So, nice. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty nice. But really, I haven't been using it for home lab. I've just been using it as a giant like file store, uh, among other things. So it's amazing what you can do now. In fact, I think that would be a great topic for our next show, you know, the evolving, you know, vSphere, home lab, uh, what you can do now on a single machine or um, I know in the cloud. Yeah, in the cloud. Uh, Rebello yeah. Systems recently gave um, all vExperts, you know, access to their vSphere Amazon online lab. So that's something um, pretty cool for the cloud air and yeah, yeah. There's so many different options now. So yeah, I think that'd be a cool uh, episode for our next show. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, three very distinct options there now. You know, standalone ESXi hosts or you know, um, basically nested ESXi instances on on Fusion or Workstation. And then, like you say, you've got the cloud options as well. So definitely pros and cons with all of those and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely it's definitely swaying towards the cloud the more and more as time progresses and costs drop. But uh, that'll be a great topic indeed. Um, and talking of storage, there actually, yeah, I was I was looking at the uh, Synologies the other day as well. I've got a um, an old iMega PX4, uh, a four disc model, obviously um, being the PX4. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much at capacity on that and. Uh, Getting a little bit worried because it, it runs twenty four seven. The discs in there they're not like their WD Reds that are designed designed to run twenty four seven. So it's a bit of a ticking time bomb at the moment. But I've got all my data on there, and uh, I'm kind of thinking whether it's time to uh, to upgrade to another another machine. Because if this one died tomorrow, it would probably involve because it's out of warranty. It would involve buying a new machine. No obviously, it's not like I could take the drive straight <laughs> out, put it in a Synology. Um, and I think Synology would be my next pick for for a home uh, type uh, storage device. Um, but uh, the only thing putting me off, obviously, is is price and budget. I don't, I have no budget for anything else at the moment. This is about as far as it goes. Um, <laughs> so I might have to wait till uh, the budget increases and the deal comes through on uh, on the Synologies. I was on the website though. The one I was looking at was the fifteen fifteen plus. I thought that looked quite nice. Um, that's a that's a five bay model as well. Uh, with all yeah. the bells and whistles, um, and what I liked about it as well, you can do a. It's not officially, it's not an official, you know, an official function of of the device itself, but you can get it to actually run with CrashPlan, which would be ideal. So I use CrashPlan for backing up everything, all, all my data and machines at home here. Uh, I've got an unlimited all you can eat CrashPlan um, account, and actually it just expired again. I've just signed up for another four years with them. Um, but yeah, apparently there is a, a, a mod you can do for it. Yeah, that looks really similar to that. Um, it is fifteen fifteen. Sorry. Ah, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So that is exactly yeah. what I'm oh, okay. looking at. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, and you can get something called a, I think it is the fifteen thirteen or the fifteen twelve, which is the expansion case for that. Oh wow, and for uh, for Ethernet ports, that's pretty in USB three. I'm pulling a Simon right here. Get up out of out <laughs> Yeah, no, grab. that's good. And then you've got two eSATA ports at the bottom there as well. So if you want to, you know, add expansion on that, um, that's obviously pretty good. One one thing I would have quite liked to have seen on it is I I, I used to use the um, um, the Drobos. 
uh, attached via USB, which I quite liked because I could back it up using things like CrashPlan because it showed up as an attached drive, so you could still back it up rather than NAS boxes, which you can't from from your PC at all. Um, so it'd be kind of I'd kind of like a device where you can use it as a NAS and a, a, a DAS as well at the same time. Um, all that but yeah, then again yeah. if i can get this crash plan mod running on it then that all, all those problems go away but uh yeah like i say i'll uh, just got to start saving <laughs> yeah chris wall has a post on um connecting synology to amazon s3 i think for backup yeah i think i think that's officially supported now i think yeah um i know i know there's i think there's about two or three cloud providers that you can connect and back up to um Using that, but it seems a very strong community around the Synologies as well, which I quite like. Uh, it has, yeah, so many different apps. I mean, for home video sharing, music sharing, photo sharing, just all these things you can do with it. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone, yeah, I've spoken to always, uh, you know, raves and speaks very highly of them. So, yeah, I, I had one as well. So yeah, they're definitely they're full featured. All all the features, you know, they support a ton of different things, protocols, all that stuff. So yeah, they're definitely nice units. Your, your biggest problem, though, Eric, is going to be finding it in the, one of those many boxes you've got still to unpack. So. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somewhere around. <laughs> well, good. Well, yeah. we got a, we got a topic for next week, then. We'll talk more about storage and for our home labs. Yeah, definitely. Topics near and dear to our own hearts. Sounds good, guys. Well, I appreciate your time today. We had a lot of, a lot of good tech talk, and uh, I look forward to the next show. Yep, definitely. Great. Talk to you real soon. See you guys. Until Thanks, then. guys. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.